Hey, you're listening to Retirement Made Simple, a podcast dedicated to helping a million people have the knowledge they need to retire without worry. I'm your host, Kevin Lum, and today we're going to be talking about the topic that's on top of everyone's mind, and that's are we in a recession or are we headed to recession? And if we are, or even if we are, what can what do we need to do to prepare? Um, I actually did a YouTube video where I, I dove fairly deeply into this question of, you know, what exactly is a recession? And the, the part of the problem is it's really difficult. Um, th- there's multiple ways to uh, determining a recession and um, there's an official academic uh, answer to a recession. And it's really hard to predict whether you're in a recession or not, because it, it's a backwards looking indicator. And so by the time we know that we're in a recession, we typically are either deep inside a recession or even at times coming out on the other side of a recession. And so it, it's, a, it's a bit, uh, it, it's the reason there's a million articles. If you Google right now, there are a million different articles uh, that take uh, one side or the other about whether we're in a recession or headed to a recession. And no one, no one agrees. The experts don't agree. And what I said was simply, look, it's not really the right question to be asking. The question is not, are we in a recession or are we not in a recession? Um, I mean, at its most basic level, uh, a recession is when an economy stops growing and starts shrinking. And that's what the Fed is trying to pull off carefully right now is they're trying to get inflation under control. And honestly, if you retire, that's probably the thing that's going to be the biggest challenge to you is skyrocketing inflation. Inflation sitting at over 8% right now. So that means something you know that cost a year ago that cost a dollar is now going to cost you a dollar eight. Uh, and you know, depending on that's kind of the, that's an average. Uh, and so in some, some areas that you're seeing even higher inflation, some things that are, you know, staples in life. And so, you know, this is particularly hitting people hard who are on a fixed income. But, but for me, what I think, I think that's the wrong question to be asking about, are we in a recession or not? Uh, it's, and, you know, like I said, you know, the, we have the economy s- s- slowing, uh, because the Fed is trying to put the brakes on by increasing interest rates. And, you know, they're trying to have a balancing act by trying to, you know, bring inflation down without, you know, tanking the economy. But even in the best case scenario, you know, estimates look, say that there could be upwards of a million jobs that are lost. And so for me, the question is not whether we're in a recession or going to go into a recession, but it's, are we going to head into an economic slowdown? And the answer to that is almost certainly yes. And, um, and so what I want to spend a few minutes on this podcast today talking about are what are some steps that you can take to help prepare for an economic slowdown? Now, this isn't an, you know, an all encompassing list. Uh, there are other other things you can do, but I, I just want to kind of get us thinking about how can we prepare, um, particularly if you're on a fixed income for a, a protracted economic slowdown. And, you know, it, you never know the average recession lasts 10 months. And so, you know, will we, will we, la- will we enter a recession? Who knows? And even if we are in a recession, how long and deep will that recession be? Um, we don't know, but I, I think these things that you, these tactics, uh, that you can take will be helpful for you no matter whether we enter a recession or not. You know, the other thing that people are concerned about is falling asset prices. I mean, it seems right now there's really no place to hide. You have stocks falling, you have bonds falling. Um, for a while, people are going to commodities because, you know, commodities typically rise when inflation rises, but even commodities have been falling recently. 
And so if you're trying, the, the problem is when you're trying to tactically rebalance your portfolio to take advantage of whatever's happening, whatever you're seeing in the news, it's already been priced in. So, you know, I saw people trying to, you know, move from their kind of their 60, 40 portfolio, putting more tips, uh, you know, inflation protected bonds in the portfolio. And then by the time they got the inflation protected bonds, that had already been the price had already been baked into those bonds. And so then they began to fall and people are like, wait, I thought they're inflation protected. The problem is you have to buy tips, inflation protected bonds when people are just beginning to think about there might possibly be a recession someday far off in the future. But by the time or inflation rather. But by the time inflation has arrived, it's already been baked into the price. Um, and so people who went into tips are losing money. Um, and then other people dove into commodities because they saw, you know, commodity prices rise by 30 to 40% this year. And then commodity prices have begun to, to pull back as well. And it's just a really difficult time for people's portfolio. And particularly if you're in a traditional 60-40 portfolio, which is you've kind of been told historically was a safe portfolio and that would balance out, you know, if the stocks are down, bonds would be up. And this year, everything's down. I mean, your 60-40 portfolio has not held up well. Now, is it going to be fine in the long run? I'm sure it will be. You know, this is the thing I keep telling my clients over and over is that the best strategy is just to do nothing. I mean, it's to make sure, talk to a financial advisor, Make sure you have a globally diversified portfolio that has a balance of, you know, the right equity balance. And, you know, personally, I think you should have a factor tilt. Um, but once you do that and you don't have inordinate amount of risk, uh, you know, just if you can just sit back and enjoy the ride. And that's, you know, one of the, one of the things I tell people, you know, is if you're struggling with if you need cash right away, then you should probably up your cash reserves, you know, six months to a year um, and maybe even two years. So that way you're not forced to, in a down market, sell equities uh, or bonds or whatever it might be um, in a down market. Um, but I just want to quickly talk about uh, a few of the, the ways that I think you can you can kind of prepare for a recession um, or an economic downturn. Or honestly, these also work for preparing for inflation. Um, whatever ends up happening in the economy, if you know we continue to see inflation, if we continue to see an economic downturn, um, what are the steps that you could be taking? Um, the first thing I think people should do is get rid of credit card debt, uh, especially if you're on a fixed income. Um, but if at all possible, if you have a high interest credit line, either it's whatever that that line of credit is, if you're paying high interest on something, if at all possible, pay that off. Um, and if you can't pay it off, one way to to tackle you know, high credit card debt is to get either a low interest personal loan or even to do a balance transfer and because to a, a balance transfer rather to a, a 0% interest credit card, you know, I'm getting things in the mail, even in this current environment, I'm getting letters in the mail offering me a 0% uh, for 18 months if I'll transfer a credit balance over. So, you know, you might want to look into doing that and, and tied to that, you know, what's going to help you be in a better position um, is if you, you need to want to get that personal loan, or if you want to get, uh, do a 0% uh, credit transfer, um, is improving your credit score. And so if you don't know what your credit score is, or you haven't been tracking your credit score, you might want to find out what that is. Uh, I, I personally use an app called credit karma. I think it's owned by, uh, Quicken. So they're probably selling all your data off to quick, QuickBooks, but, um, 
it will give you a credit score. It's not the exact credit score that um, you know the bank pulls up when you go to get a loan, but it's fairly close. Um, and it does a great job of tracking your score and, and then also giving you advice on how to improve your score. Um, but one of the best things you can do is paid on debt, particularly if you have a high credit utilization rate. One of the things that's odd about credit scores is that um, the amount of credit you have is not really what impacts your credit score as much as the credit utilization rate. So if you have one credit card that has a $10,000 credit limit and you have $10,000 on that card, then you have an incredibly high credit utilization rate and that's going to bring your score down overall. On the other hand, if you had, um, if you have a you know $100,000 credit card and you have $10,000 credit, you only have a 10% credit utilization score and that's going to really help increase your score. So, you know, what, you know, it's actually better to have more credit in if you're if you have if you have money on a credit card, it's actually better to have more credit. So, you know, if you have you might be able to call and say, "Hey, can I get a an increase in my credit limit?" Um, and that will then help reduce your credit utilization score, which will in turn help raise <laughs> your, your credit score. It, it's a vicious cycle. But one of the things you might want to do right now is improve your credit score because you might not need to do a balance transfer. You might not need to take out a personal loan right now. But if, if you have not retired yet and you need some, you know, you lose your job and you don't have enough emergency savings or whatever it might be, you might want to consider doing that. Which which leads me into the next point. So the first thing you want to do is pay off high interest credit, um, particularly if it's on a you know if it's readjust or resets like the interest rate because interest rates are going to be going up. So if you're on an adjustable interest rate, uh, chances are that rate is going to be going up. Um, but so you want to do that. You want to raise your credit score. Other things that raise your credit score. Just before I go on, um, the other thing that really helps it is you know paying your card on time. Uh, and then, you know, even if you felt that you have gotten behind and you're not paying on time, uh, if you just begin to get back on track, your credit score, it's not going to get better overnight. It's going to stay on your, your report for a while, but you're going to start seeing some increase in your score. Now, one big change that just happened to the way that credit scores are calculated is um, the credit bureaus are no longer going to con consider medical debt um, against you on your credit score. So if you pay it off, um, it's not going to impact your credit score anymore. Uh, and so I'm, there's a few more details to that. Um, so don't go around quoting me. Um, but uh, that's going to make a big difference for a lot of people because there's a huge percentage of people who have medical bills um, that they may have been paid off, but that they were laid on, they couldn't get paid off, paid right away. And so it's really weighing down their credit score. So I think that's going to help a lot of people. Uh, and then the, one of the things that I found really fascinating is how, you know, the percentage of people who had medical debt that was holding down their credit score was fairly high. But then when you dig into the data, you realize that most of the debt is like $500 or less. And so you have a lot of people who have you know, their credit has been destroyed by medical debt that they can't pay. And it's not even a huge sums of money. And so hopefully these changes are going to help uh, people raise their score. So it could be, you could be one of those people. So if you had some credit or uh, medical debt that was holding down your credit score, uh, that could be some really good news. So anyway, download the Credit Karma app or there's a number, I think Experian has a free, uh, a free credit score app that you can download as well, except they're always trying to upsell you to their special um extra premium version 
Um, that's a nice part about Credit Karma that they the way they make their money is just by selling all the data about your your life and what you you like and where you spend your money. So you you, you may want to now that I I think about it, you may actually just want to to pay for the premium, the premium credit service. So they're not selling your data. Uh, anyway, that's not the point. Um, you download that check in your credit score. So once you've uh, begin to pay off your debt, uh, and you're, you know, checking your credit score or, you know, you begin to repair your credit. You know, the, the next thing I think it's really helpful to do, uh, when a recession is on the way is you want to decrease your spending and increase your cash reserves. Um, typically I tell people they want to have three to six months of reserves cash liquid cash reserves on hand and three months if it's a, a married couple and they both have fairly stable jobs six months if just one person is working or if it feels that either of the jobs are um not stable right you might want to have six months but in, in a, at a time when you know you, you have a, could, we could be entering a recession um i i would really consider or recession or you're retired on a fixed income and you don't want to have to dip into your your securities in a down market. I would recommend um, having a year, maybe two years of reserves. And the reason I'd have a long reserve um, if you're still working is it could take you longer to find a job if we're in a recession because the employers aren't hiring. You're already starting to see this happen in the tech industry. Um, you have people who had 10 job offers before and now you know they, they accepted one there are some stories people accepted a job at coinbase they had 10 different job offers from all these great companies they wanted to work in crypto they took the job at coinbase coinbase then ended up reducing their workforce they got laid off and now the job market's dried up and no one's hiring and so you might just want to consider having more of emergency reserves now some of you could be saying at this moment that sounds great i would love to have more money uh more cash on hand, but I don't have any additional income. And so I, I want to walk through the can process. This is like the cheesiest thing that I talk about. Um, but it, it's uh, yes, you can save more money. Can C-A-N. Um, each letter uh, stands for something. Can stands for cut. Where can I cut my expenses? So this is a process that I walk clients through. So the first thing I ask them is, where can you cut your expenses? And so I have them, you know, split their expenses up into two different buckets. Uh, and on the one side, they have, um, you know, fixed expenses. You know, there are some things you just can't cut, right? You're gonna have to pay for car insurance. You're gonna have to pay for rent or your mortgage, whatever it might be. There's some expenses that you, know, you could move to a cheaper home, but it is a fixed expense based upon what you're doing right now. Uh, and then the other list is discretionary expenses. And I encourage people to actually put a, to, to prioritize the discretionary expenses from, you know, one to a hundred, like how important is this expense to me? Uh, if you love movies, then maybe you keep paying for Netflix. But if you're like, I don't really ever watch Netflix because all I do is watch, you know, reruns on the CW or PBS or whatever it might be, you, that might be where you cut. So anyway, creating a, a you know, prioritizing your expenses, uh, your discretionary expenses, then looking at that list and kind of working way up at the bottom, what's the least important for you. And maybe that's going to reduce enough spending. And if not, just keep moving your way up that discretionary list until you've cut enough money. So the first thing I do is like, what can I cut? The next part of the can process is the A, and that's assets. What are the assets that I have that I can sell or leverage? Is there anything I can sell? Uh, so I'm walking around my house 
probably once or twice a month, the house, the backyard, the garage. I'm always trying to figure out, is there anything we have laying around that I could sell either on OfferUp or on eBay? And it's not just that I want the money. It's more that there's just clutter around the house. And I find that there's something we bought that we don't use that I can actually, it's a great environmental decision because I can help the world from creating one more of those items if I sell mine, you know, if used. Um, as an aside, we tend to also buy almost everything that we have in our house on offer up or on Craigslist. So we're creating less uh, waste in the world by just buying something that's already been created and sold to somebody else. And then we try to do the same thing. What do we have laying around instead of just throwing it away? Um, maybe we could resell it and then take that money and invest it or do whatever you want with it. So do you have anything you could sell? Um, or do you have any assets that you could leverage or is there anything that you could maybe rent out? So do you have an extra bedroom that you put up on Airbnb? Uh, some people are putting their car on Turo. There's another website called Outdoorsy. Uh, you can put your travel trailer or your motorhome up on. Yeah. Do you have any assets that maybe you could use to create some passive income? So the first uh, part of the can process is what can I cut? The second part is what are the assets that I can sell or leverage? And then the final uh, piece of the can process is the, is negotiate. What are the expenses that I have that I can negotiate? So for example, let's say your cable bill. Um, you decided that you just love watching, you know, NFL football or, I, you know, the Dodgers game or whatever it might be, and you need cable to watch your favorite team. And so you don't want to cut cable, but um, you also want to reduce your expenses. A lot of companies will be willing to renegotiate your rate, particularly if they think you're going to cancel. So you call your cable provider and say, look, I, you know, I, I love, love your service, but uh, I can't afford it any longer. So I'm going to cancel. Chances are they're going to throw a promo deal at you and say, hey, uh, what would it take to get you to stay? And you're like, well, you know, I pay 60 a month now if I could do 30. And they'll often be able to offer you something that can be up to 50% reduction in what you're paying. Now, it's typically like a, a promo for a year. Um, and so it's going to reset back up in the future. But honestly, if you just do that again, they'll often reduce that rate again. So is there anything I have people look at their expenses and say, OK, maybe you don't want to cut this, but could you renegotiate um, I, the the price that you're paying for? You can do this with all kinds of different things, you know, um, your, your cable company. And it may be not renegotiate, but let's take your phone. Say you're with Verizon, you're, you're, you're paying, you have uh, wireless through Verizon. Um, you can get the exact same Verizon network by utilizing either Spectrum or Comcast, depending on which part of the country and using Spectrum or Comcast mobile. And you get the exact same network, but often you cut your phone bill, your mobile phone bill by 50% from paying 80 a month to 40 a month. Um, it's particularly helpful if you're single and on a single plan because phone companies, for whatever reason, really want to incentivize having lots of family members on the same plan. Whereas if you're with Comcast or um, Spectrum, it ends up being like $45 a month, no matter if you have one person or if you have two people, it's 90 a month, right? So you pay just the 45 per person instead of how AT&T and Verizon do it, which is like $90 to the first person and then $10 for each person you add on. I have no idea what the actual rates is, are. I haven't kept up with it, but it's somewhere like something close to that. So is there anything you can renegotiate or is there anything you can reshop? So um, if you have you know, home or auto insurance, typically you can shop that around and get a lower rate. If you're with a captive agency like State Farm or 
uh, Allstate, reach out to an insurance broker, a property and casualty insurance broker in your neighborhood, and just say, hey, you know, I'm looking at changing carriers. Um, could you shop this for me? And you'd be surprised. I mean, I've seen people cut their home and car insurance in half by just shopping around. So anyway, that's the CAN process that I use to say, hey, where can I cut my expenses? What assets do I have that I can either sell or leverage? And then um, is there anything I can renegotiate or reshop? Uh, and, and so those those three steps will often help bring in an extra five, six hundred dollars a month, which then you can put towards uh, increasing your emergency reserves. Uh, and then the the other thing that I tell clients to do is, look, don't try to time the market. A lot of people want to get in the get in and out of the stock market until you know, they, you know, when things start getting bad, they want to get out. And then when they feel things are better, they want to get back in. The problem is is that markets are a forward-looking mechanism. They're looking at future cash flows. And so whatever bad news that you're reading about today, there's a high likelihood that has already been baked into the price. So the market has already taken into account that we could be heading into an economic slowdown or potentially even heading into a, a, you know, a recession. And so by the time you read the headline that says we are in a recession, the market has already planned that or already kind of taken that into account and it's looking around the next corner. And so by the time we know we're in a recession, the market may see that we're already coming out of a recession. And so by trying to time the market, you're going to miss out on that upswing. Uh, there's some really interesting studies that have shown if you just miss the, the best one day or the best one week or the best one month in the market, often those days and months and week or the weeks and months end up happening in volatile markets when it doesn't feel safe to invest. Uh, if you miss those those one day periods, those one week periods, those one month periods, you can significantly reduce your um, your returns. I mean, this happened to me during the two thousand eight two thousand nine crisis. I uh, I was uh, in our own four hundred one ks. Things are really scary, and so after I don't know, we we're probably down twenty to thirty percent. I sold out of everything and said, "Look, I'm going to go to bonds and wait until things feel safe again." Well, they didn't really feel safe until 2010. So I didn't end up fully getting back into the market until 2010. And I ended up missing out on a lot of upside um, because I set the market out until it felt safe. But the problem was by the time I felt safe in the market and things seemed to really be showing, okay, you know, the economy's doing better. The market had known that for a long time and it increased a massive amount in between when I felt safe and when it actually began to recover. So, uh, you know, I had a client call me or not a prospective client call and they kind of bragged to me. They said, you know, uh, the, the economy is really not doing well. And, you know, I, my this was during the covid crash. And they said, look, I, I sold out of my my portfolio. I lost about 30 percent of my money, but I stopped the bleeding. And, uh, you know, now we know in retrospect, had they just stayed in the market, even with the markets we're seeing today, not only would they be down or not be down, but they most likely would be up now. Um, and so it, it just timing the market is just a not it just rarely works. Uh, and so um, I, I just tell clients, if at all possible, stay invested. If you need to sell at a loss or if you desperately need the cash. Um, talk to an advisor or talk to someone that can help you do some tax loss harvesting and be really strategic about what you sell, uh, what assets you sell. Um, maybe you can you know, sell at a profit on one and offset that with a loss someplace else or whatever it might be. If at all possible, just ride this out. 
So in conclusion, uh, on the first first ever episode of Retirement Made Simple, uh, we're often going to have guests because sitting here talking into uh, the void uh, gets a little bit uh, boring after a while and I start getting tired of hearing my own voice and you're probably getting tired of hearing my voice too. Um, but uh, in, in conclusion, uh, there, are, you know, there are a few things you can do to prepare for you know, uh, financially constricted times, whatever that ends up looking like. Uh, whether it's just because of inflation or whether it's we enter a market downturn or a, there's a market downturn continues or whether there's uh, inflation continues, um, get rid of your debt, your high interest debt, rather track your spending, figure out where your money's going. Are there any places it's being you're leaking money and then say, where can I cut? Where can I um, you know, leverage assets? Where can I maybe renegotiate? Uh, improve your credit score uh, and, you know, increase your emergency funding so that you can withstand kind of whatever ends up coming, happening next. And like I said, don't try to time the market. Don't freak out. Don't make any sudden decisions. That doesn't mean you shouldn't sell, right? There are some people who need to sell and they, they have way too much risk on the table and they need to take some of that risk off or they need to rebalance their portfolio. Um, so I'm not saying not to do that, but honestly, I probably wouldn't make any changes to my portfolio without talking to a financial professional. And, and that's the one other thing I should mention before we go any further. Um, well, I mean, we're at the end. I should have done this in the beginning, but uh, you know, I, I'm a financial advisor, but I am not your financial advisor. And so, uh, you know, make sure before you make any changes to your portfolio or anything else in life that uh, you talk to a professional. So thanks for listening. Uh, if this content was helpful, I'd appreciate if you tell other people about it. Um, we have a YouTube channel as well. You may be watching this on the YouTube channel or maybe listening to this on your favorite podcasting app. Um, subscribe, leave us a review. Um, and then also we set up a private Facebook page for people who are nearing retirement or retired or just like the idea of retiring um, that you can join. Um, you can find it uh, on the YouTube show notes if you're watching on YouTube. Um, or the other thing is we also have a Facebook page and everyone who joins uh, follows Facebook page, we will invite to that private group. Um, Facebook page is just retirement podcast. Um, you can go and like that as well. Hey, thanks for listening. Uh, I'm excited about the future of the show. I, if you have a topic you'd like us to cover, you want to hear more about, um, you can just email me at kevin at foundryfinancial.org um, and let me know what you'd like to hear about. And uh, we'll, we'll see if we can add it in future days. I think that's it. Uh, thanks for listening to the first episode of Retirement Made Simple.